we're going to get this out of the way right now. I'm not preaching this morning, so you can, aww, see there. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, no, I actually, I'm, I'm excited this morning. I, I get to share, uh, I get to share my church family with a man who means a great deal to me. He's a good friend of mine from the other side of the globe. Uh, he has left behind in Slovakia. Rich, can you pull up that picture? Uh, his wife, Jana, and his two children, Edo and Kika. Uh, they were wonderful hosts to me in the fall. Uh, Kika is very silly. Edo loves tanks, which uh, fires me up. Uh, so we were on a call the other day, and he was excited to show me his new Abrams tank, uh, which was pretty cool. And uh, so he left behind his beautiful family in Slovakia to come and share his heart with us a little bit. This morning, he's the author of three books. Is it three? It's three. One of them is uh, The Greatest Influencer. One of them is I Don't Want to Be a Christian. And the other one is Leave Me Alone. Uh, that's how they translate into English. He is the co-host with our friend Pastor Jose of the largest Christian podcast in the Slovak language. I, I may have misspoke last week. The largest Christian podcast in the Slovak language. He's featured on the Uversion Bible app in the Slovak language. All of his sermon series get translated into Bible reading plans. He is a big deal on the other side of the globe. And so would you welcome my friend, Janči Mahirik. Oh, one last thing. One last thing. When, when he greets you, here's how you greet him back. Dobre. Rano. That's good morning. Yeah, we can try. Dobre rano. Amazing. They married. Yeah, that's good. Oh, Brian. Now I don't know what to say, you know, after such introduction. Okay, so Brian introduced me, and I will tell you how the trip went. With who, Maybe you don't know, but Brian visited us in October, September, October, for almost like 10 days or 12 days, 12 days. And if you wonder how a trip to Slovakia could look like, I have a few pictures. So this is the first one. So that's the castle. And Brian just conquered the castle, you know. <laughs> conquered the castle. And um, as I look at the picture, I realize I should work out more. And <laughs> grow a beard. That's some uh, medieval warrior. Brian is bigger than him. So, so that's what we've seen. OK, another picture would be um, do we have the food picture as well? Is it somewhere over <laughs> So, I, I, I wanted to give Brian the best uh, food we have, and um, so I took him to burgers I love. And after three days, Brian told me, well, you know, actually, we have burgers at home. Well, tr let's try something local. So I, I'm not sure which local food did, did you really enjoy. Halushki. Okay. So, not everyone likes halushki. It's a special food made out of sheep cheese. And one friend from Great Britain, when he visited Slovakia, he said, it smells like old socks. <laughs> but Brian loves it, so <laughs> that's a good one. So we had a lot of fun. Uh, there are many more pictures I could show, but there are two I will show. Um, that, the previous picture with the, the, the previous, yeah. So on the picture, Right next to Brian, it's my wife. She's a high school teacher. She teaches um, at a sports high school. So the students in the room are going to become professional sport players. Some of them even re represent Slovakia in ice hockey and all, all kinds of sports. 
And Brian did a really good job um, visiting that school. He had a couple of sessions like this. He was sharing his personal story, uh, how, how sports is a good part of life, but it can't be your identity, actually. There's something else much deeper, much more important. That's the identity. And he gave them good questions. Um, or one question, like, whom you will become once you play your... I think you did an amazing job, and he really served the school well. But also, that, that's the last picture. Um, yeah, that's Brian preaching for our church at the church retreat, the, the church weekend retreat. Maybe, maybe you know the one-liner, unshakable house, unshakable kingdom, unshakable life. Uh, that was part of the sermon series when? Was it a year ago or... Yeah, and that's sticked with us. So from time to time, some people come to me and they say, oh, it's unshakable. So you really did a good job. And you know how good Pastor Brian is, how well he preaches. But the most important part to me uh, while he was visiting us is that he has heart of a shepherd. And what I try to do is to make him meet as many people as possible, all kinds of our leaders, and every single leader was truly blessed by the meeting. He was, people were encouraged, people were blessed. So I think a really lucky church to have Brian as your pastor. And yeah, yeah really, really good. And it's a privilege. Amen. Amen. And I'm privileged to be here and, and share. And one more thing before I, I, I dig into the sermon is that this sermon series is about church. Uh, Noah was sharing about uh, believing and that the, the Christ is the center of, of the church. It, he is the reason we are here. And I think he did an amazing job with the sermon. I listened to all the sermons, so he did an amazing job with the sermon. And also Brian preached about how the love we get from God is the love we share with our neighbors. And it was also a brilliant sermon. But it's, it's amazing to, for me to preach about the church because the reason I'm here is that the church works. Because the church works. Because the church is real and it's everywhere. And God works through the church. I'm here. And, um, and that's the last story for the introduction. You know Pastor Ed? He's the reason I'm here, actually. We met at a conference in Europe. And that was a big conference for Europe, European leaders, about seven to eight hundred people and, and leaders from Europe meeting at one place. And there was a dinner time, and I was sitting at a dinner table alone, just, and, and suddenly this guy came next to me, like this guy. <laughs> and, and, and he told me basically, you know, I was praying today to God to show me person I should talk to, and he showed me you. And I told him, well, I was praying something similar. <laughs> I was praying, please, God, send someone to me to talk, talk to me. And that's where the friendship started. And Pastor Ed also, you know, he's a great preacher, but he also blessed me as a person, like, like as, as a shepherd. And he asked me good questions about my marriage, actually. And he, he told me, oh, man, if you don't change this and this and that, you will ruin your family. <laughs> and you know what? My wife loves Pastor Ed. 
Yeah, there are more stories I could share, but I'm truly blessed by this church. And, and I think this really fits the series, which is about the church. And today is the last episode. And um, it's about belonging. Church is the place where we, we belong to. And this happened maybe four or five years ago. I was traveling uh, to eastern part of our country by, uh, by train. I was going to speak at an event that is similar to TED Talks. Uh, where you, you present the short message. It was a secular event. It was not Christian even. It, it was secular. But they asked me to speak about the church we are planting in, in our town because that, it's pretty weird in Slovakia. You know, we have these old big churches and suddenly someone is planting something like this. And they invited me to speak about it. And I traveled by train to eastern Slovakia. And then I had to travel the last part with the car. But I was by the train. So one of the other speakers took me with the car, in, in his car. He drove me. And he was sitting in the front, driving. There was his girlfriend next to him. How do you call that? The, the shotgun seat. Yeah, yeah the shotgun. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, 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 was, I was in the back seat, and I asked him, like, okay, what are you going to talk about? And he explained his, his message, and I realized this guy is very smart. Like, he's really, like entrepreneurial type of person, developing all kinds of projects. And I really admired him. And after he shared what he's going to speak about, then he turned to me and asked, hey, what are you going to speak about? And I, I said, okay, I'm going to speak about the church planting. And usually after, after something like that, when I introduce myself as a pastor or I speak about church, there's this like weird silence. And there was this weird silence. He was driving like 10 seconds, 15 seconds. And then he asked me, why do you need the church? Why do you need the church? Don't you know how to behave? And then he said, I needed the church up to the point I was 15. And then I knew how to behave. Why do you plant the church? Why do you need the church? And I understand his confusion. It's very hard to understand what the church is just from the visiting, church, visiting the church. Because it might look like a training center for young kids to learn how to behave. It might look like that, because we train our kids to behave. But when you come here, maybe it could look like a concert venue, because you enter this place and you have this amazing worship like you had today. I wish we had such a worship back home. It was really nice. It really blessed me, even though I don't know the songs. but. <laughs> But I learned quick. <laughs> and you might think it's, it's, it's a concert. Or after the service, you get an amazing coffee out in the lobby. It might look like, like a social event. But, and there's this question, like, what is, what is expected of me? How do I relate to the church? Is it something I visit when I'm just a kid? and I don't know how to behave? Or is it something I visit when I'm only sad and I, I need a good music? Or is it something I visit just in order to visit uh, and, and meet new people? Or is it something more? There's this text I will later dig deeper into. It's written in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. If you went, if you ever like crashed on the island, and you had only one Bible book to choose from, 
which one would you choose? I usually say I would choose this one because it's about the church. I love this, I love this book, really. Um, Ephesians, letter to Ephesians. So this is what Paul writes to the, to the church in Ephesus. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. One more time, the last part. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you very much for this opportunity, this special time, that even though there's crazy weather outside, even for me, <laughs> that we have this privilege to meet and be here, listen to your word, and think about and, and try to understand what the church is. Please help us to have greater vision for the church. Please help us to see the church through the eyes you see the church. Help us to see church through, through the eyes Paul saw the church and wrote about it. Amen. So this really will be, will be the core message today. But before I get to that, there's a little, a little context I would like to show you. There's, a, there's this... A little, a little thin line going throughout the ages and throughout the globe and the, and the cultures, which has one very strong message. And this message was expressed by one of uh, really old pastors in Slovakia. And, and this is what he said. Life is about relationships. The rest is details. That's what he said. That was his Life message. He's with the Lord now, but this, this was his life message. The life is about relationships and the rest is details. Maybe you remember or recall last Sunday, Pastor Brian was showing the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think we, we can put it on, on, on the screen that this, this is the things, these are the things that we as people need. This is how we are created. This is how God created us and we need those things. Um, going from the bottom to top. If you don't have the bottom needs, uh, you're not really interested in, in the upper, upper ones. And belonging is one of the core needs we have, to belong somewhere, to be part of meaningful network of relationships. And these are the, the bites I would like to show you from the culture, how, how our culture understands this, even though they are not maybe part of the church, but they understand the value of relationship. Um, Mark Zuckerberg... He was the, the owner of Facebook or founder of Facebook. He was speaking here in Chicago, actually, at the event, um, not that far, like a long time ago. And he was um, sharing his plans with Facebook. You know how, how the title of the article went? Th this is how, how the article was titled. Facebook can play a role that churches and Little League once filled. Well, I mean, he understands how important uh, the relationships are, 
and, and he's explaining how he wants to connect the world through his platform. And I quote, if we can do this, it will not only turn around the whole decline in the community membership we are seeing for decades. It will start to strengthen our social fabric and bring the world closer together. He understands this. The world needs to get closer together. The social fabric, fabric needs to be strengthened. Okay, I don't know how much you like or hate Starbucks, but this is what... <laughs> but <laughs> somebody prefers Dunkin' Donuts, I know. But, but this is from their website or something. When you work at Starbucks, you can make someone's day by creating an environment where neighbors and friends can meet and make new connections while enjoying great coffee. Businesses understand that we are driven by relationships. We need them. That's how we are made. That's how we are designed. Um, okay, it's now, but even thousands of years ago, and I don't know how to pronounce this, Aristotle? Aristotle, okay. Yeah, he said man is by nature a social animal. That's what he observed. Something similar was said by Dalai Lama. It's Far East, Far East. And Dalai Lama said, uh, we human beings are social beings. We come into the world as the result of others' actions. We survive here in dependence on others. Whether we like it or not, there is hardly a moment of our lives when we do not benefit from others' activities. For this reason, it's hardly surprising that most of our happiness arises in the context of our relationships with others. And the last illustration, and then I go to scripture, there's a study that was done by Harvard people, and it took, let, let me see, 85 years. 85 years long study, which included 724 participants. And the guys from Harvard were observing 724 people for 85 years just in order to answer the question, what makes us happy in life? And I think you get the answer. Relationships. So one of the guys, Dr. Waldinger, said, personal connection creates mental and emotional stimulation, which are automatic mood boosters, while isolation is a mood buster. So all people all around the centuries, all people all around the globe, all people starting from business, ending with the Dalai Lama in politics, all people have the same testimony. We are designed as a people who need relationships. That's, that's how we are made. That's how we are designed. And when we open Bible, and maybe I can borrow one, English. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. So at the beginning, when we open the, the Holy Bible, we see God designing the world. We, we see God creating the world. It's the very first uh, thing we see in a, in a Bible, and we can put it on a screen. And God, as he creates the, the world, he has these um, moments when he looks back and, and he taps himself on, on the shoulder and he says, oh, that's good, good stuff. I'm a good, good God. So God created moon and the stars and the water and, and fruit and vegetables and animals and, and, and he created everything and from time to time he stopped and he looked back and he 
saw that it was good. And it was good, and it was good, and it was good. At, at one point, he says, oh, it's not good. So you know which point it is? Yeah, Adam was alone. So that's another verse. It's not good that the man should be alone. It's not good that men should be alone. And the interesting thing is that Adam, Adam is actually not alone. He's there with God. And I find this crazy that even though Adam is in, in a world together with God, who is almighty God, who is the definition of love, who himself is love, he's understood by this God, understood by this God, loved by this God, known intimately by this God, walks with this God, still God says it's not good for this guy, for this human to be alone. You know, sometimes when we feel alone, the pastoral advice is, well, you have this hole in your heart shaped in the shape of God, and only God can feel it. That's very true. But um, the John Ortberg, that's American author, he said, but apparently, according to the writer of Genesis, God creates inside this man a kind of a human-shaped void that God himself will not fill. No substitute will fill this need in you for human relationship. Not money, not achievement, not your business, not books, not even God himself. Even though this man was in a state of sinless perfection, he was alone and it was not good. God could fill the void, but didn't. God is almighty. He could fill the void, but he didn't. That's how he, he designed us to have relationships with each other. So once again, we can put the one-liner. Life is about relationships. The rest is details. Life is about relationships, and the rest is details. And the Bible story goes on and on, and, and we see the sin entering the world and destroying the world in its core, which is relationships. The relationship between people and God is destroyed, and people rebel, rebel against God, but it results in relationships between people being destroyed. And a lot of suffering comes into the world through this destruction of relationships. Just a few chapters later, we see we see Cain killing his own brother. And we see suffering upon suffering upon suffering upon suffering where people hurt people. And they, there's this big question, who will solve this? How this can be solved? And we see solution upon solution upon solution, political solutions, economical solutions, and nothing really works. I come from a country where we had this big experiment. For 40 years, we were part of the communist system. Did it work? Huh, partially, not really. Now we are part of the capitalist system. <laughs> we changed. Does it work? Partially, not really. <laughs> Actually, Slovakia was always part of some another empire going through the country. We were some, somewhere in the middle of Europe. Somebody from the East came, conquered over us. Then somebody from the West came, conquered over us. We were part of so many systems in history. 
It always worked a little bit, but not, not, not really. And, and all Bible testifies to the single fact that our relationships are very broken. And I think we, we understand this because most of the problems we have in life, we can trace back to our names. All, most of the problems we have in our lives are connected somehow to another people. It, it traces back to names. When I think about my faith, how it developed, it's connected to the name. If I think about the way I'm uh, dealing with my family and leading my family, it's connected to the names in my past. Good and bad. The good are Pastor Ed, of course. <laughs> and we're not good in relationships as a society. In, in Slovakia, in past uh, three, four years, we had three major event, uh, events that really, really, really knocked hard in, into our country uh, as a society. That was the COVID situation. I think we can relate to that. And man, it was tough in Slovakia, especially in our country, government has a stronger authority. That was really, really hard time. Uh, people turned against each other. It was really, really, really tough time. Then the Ukraine war, war in Ukraine, it's right next to us. If you're aware that Russia invaded Ukraine two years ago, it's next to us. We had millions of refugees coming from Ukraine through Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, and it's not just something that happens in Ukraine, but we, we get polarized. We have opinions about this. Some people think um, Ukrainians did wrong. Some people think Russians did wrong. That, that, that's a conflict. And then we had elections, and you understand this well, because we will have one this year. I pray for you, really. I, I, I mean, it's really, we didn't have such rough elections for, since I was born, we didn't have such rough elections as we did last, last year. It's getting polarized. Like everything, every single conversation we have is almost toxic about, about politics. It's, it's, it's really bad. Even right now in Slovakia, we have um, those protests in, in, in uh, city squares every, every week almost. Ten thousands of people meet and protest against the government. Like we didn't have that before. So, we, we, we understand that the relationships are inherently broken. And maybe not always in such a big, obvious way. Ways. Sometimes it's very subtle, very, very small. Um, there's this cultural commentator called Richard Sennett, and he said that the, the departure hall, the, the departure hall um, is the main architectural emblem of contemporary life. Where there's many people, like in the airport, a lot of people, together, but alone at the same time. The airport departure hall is designed in a way that nobody would bother anyone. Thousands of people at the same place, but nobody should bother anyone. You have your Wi-Fi and go through the security check-in. Actually, I get annoyed when I have to put my earphones outside and stop listening to a podcast or whatever because I have to do the security check-in hall. Alone place. <coughs> Sherry Turkle, who is a professor at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, wrote a book, Alone Together. And this is what she says Children have always competed for their parents' attention. has experienced something new. Previously, children had to deal with parents being off with work, friends, or each other. Today, 
children contend with parents who are physically close, tantalizingly so, yet mentally elsewhere. Our relationships are inherently broken. Maybe in my life it's not the war I have next to my door, but my phone, which I have on my table when I eat food with my children. Or when I sit in a church, and right now nothing interesting is happening, so I just scroll my phone. Like, there are different ways in, we, in which we ruin our, our, our relationships. Um, this is maybe the way we, we can think about the context we are in. Um, context of our time is speed, possibilities, and individualism. Speed, possibilities, and individualism. Speed leads to impatience. So we don't want things to hurt. We don't want things to take time. And relationships take time. It would be easier with Brian just to have a Skype. But he actually went through the pain and he traveled to Slovakia, spent 12 weeks with me, 12 days with me, and then flew back home, missed his family and everything. But it's, it, it goes against the grain of the culture where the speed is what we want. The possibilities lead to shallowness. Because with the possibilities, I want to be with the people who are like me, because I have the options. With the possibilities, I, I, I prefer meeting people who prefer the same things as I do. But that leads to shallowness. We actually don't know the people around us. We know only the public version of those people, or caricatures of those, of those people, but not the people themselves, what they love, what they hate, how they suffer, how they rejoice. And the individualism leads to isolation, because we're in a society where it's easy to be alone, if I want to. Especially after the COVID, we realized, oh, we can watch the church online, we don't have to go travel to church. I was wondering how many of you will show up today with this crazy weather. I was surprised, like positively surprised, because you have the option. There's a camera somewhere over here. Hi. <laughs> you, you could stay. You could stay at home, but you came. You came here. But these things go against us in a subtle way, which is, which is not maybe the war, it's not the politics, but it's something that goes against the church itself. But someone said that when we are isolated, we are slowly dying. Have you, have you experienced this kind of death in your life? The kind of death that arises from relationships that are, that are being broken. So, as you read Bible and you go through Psalms, oh man, Psalms are all about broken relationships. Have you read it? Sometimes it's like... Uh, What's the rating, like P PGR or <laughs> like the psalmist, like the worship leader is praying to God, please kill my enemies, <laughs> kill their children. <laughs> like, I think, I, I, don't, I don't think you, you could sing it here, like those psalms. No, you, you wouldn't. We wouldn't. <laughs> like, so, and, and then the prophets, the prophets cry. Prophets yell, the prophets try to encourage people to, to heal their relationships, but it doesn't work up to the point when Jesus comes to the world. And it changes everything. 
And somehow Jesus comes to the world and things get a spin, get, get, get a twist in them. And that's what Apostle Paul sees when he writes this text. He realizes he's part of a big mystery he didn't know about. And suddenly he sees this great big mystery at work and he feels privileged by the fact he can speak and share this big mystery with people. So that's what he says. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So Paul says he's privileged to preach the gospel, the renewal of mankind. He can preach about um, how God changes uh, us to a new people, new society, new community. And the, the interesting thing is that he says that somehow church has a key role in this. He says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. When you dig deeper into Greek, and Jose, the, co the pastor with me, is much better in Greek in here. He, he's, my, he's my, how do you say that, encyclopedia or scholar. When I have a trouble, I call him like, I'm preparing a sermon. And what about this word? But you, you can ask him. He's the nerd. <laughs> actually, actually, we wrote the books together, and we always have um, the, the um, assignments with the book. I, I always write the big picture chapters, and he writes the detailed chapters. So I always do the flyover, and then he nails it with some really word-like, some, some Hebrew word. He picks it up and put it on the table. The one way to translate the phrase manifold wisdom of God is multicolored wisdom of God. Wisdom of many colors. Mister, uh, wisdom of variety. And this word is not chosen by accident, but it describes the church. And he says, when you look at the church and you see the, divers the diversity of church, the many colors of the church, many varieties of the church, you must admire God. You must see God in that because it's impossible to have church like that. And it's interesting because he doesn't say, oh, when people will see the buildings built by the church, then they will admire God. Although that might be true. Sometimes we can see the greatness of God in the way we, we do art, architecture. But that's not what Paul says. He doesn't say, oh, people will come to your programs and they will be absolutely amazed by our programs, and they will see the wisdom of God in your programs. No, Paul brings that to relationships. People will enter the church, people who understand the importance of relationships, and they see the brokenness of relationships, and they will see something else in the church happening with the relationships, then they will see the wisdom of God. This is what... This is what... Philip Yancey wrote, again, American. You see, we read a lot of your authors <laughs> because there's only two guys writing in Slovak. <laughs> I 
So Philip Yancey, <laughs> he wrote, one modern Indian pastor told, most of what happens in treating even the miracles can be duplicated in Hindu and Muslim congregations. But in my area, only Christians strive, however ineptly, to mix men and women of different castes, races, and social groups. That's the real miracle. That's the, mir that's the testimony to Hindus in his region, the, the way church works. How old and young, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, healthy and sick, everyone is forming one family. There's one confusing thing in your language. You have only one word for church. I don't know if you realize that, but you, you use church in many ways. Uh, Slovak is a little bit different. I will give you a short, brief lecture of Slovak. Yeah, so words for the church in Slovak are these three words. I don't know if you will be able to pronounce that. It's zhromaždenie. Zhromaždenie. Okay. This is easy. Kostol. And then církev. Amazing. So zhromaždenie, kostol, církev. We have these three words. All three are translated to English as a church, but we have three different words. Zhromaždenie means community. So when I say I'm, I'm going to the zhromaždenie, everyone understands I'm going to meet a group of people. When I say Kostol, it's a church building. So when I say I'm going to Kostol, everyone understands I'm visiting a place. And the Cirkev, when I say I'm a part of Cirkev, it's the church as denomination, as a Lutheran church or Catholic church or Baptist church or Assemblies of God church. Guess what? When Paul says here, through, uh, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known, might be made known. What kind of church is he speaking about? All of them, not really all of them. There's a Greek word, ask Jose again. There's a Greek word, it's only one. It's the ecclesia, it's the it's the gathering of people. So it's interesting, he doesn't say just any church, he doesn't mean church as organization, he doesn't mean church as a building, he doesn't mean church as a program, he means church as a people. The people of God will show the wisdom of God. So when you dig deeper into scriptures and when you go through New Testament, there are many uh, chapters and verses that have this phrase, one another. That's connected to Ecclesia, that's connected to the gathering of people. I will just read you what Ecclesia does. Ecclesia serves one another, bears with one another in love, addresses words and sings together, does music together, teaches and admonishes one another, is accountable one to one another, stirs up one another to love and good works, does not neglect to meet together, shows hospitality to one another, has fellowship with one another, confesses sins to one another, prays for one another, eats and drinks together. The church, and this, this is the, the one thing I, I want you would remember today, 
Church is not the place, it's the people. You don't go to church, you are a church. That's absolutely important. You don't go to church, you are the church. It's, in a sense, it's answer to the guy that was driving me to the event and he was asking me, why do you need a church? Well, I am a church. I'm part of a church. It's my family. It's where I belong. In the same way as a family is not a place. You have a place. You have a structure. You have your economical ecosystem in family. You have your relationship and networks. But that's not the definition of the family. Family is defined by the place you belong to. Group of people, actually, you belong to. And to be part of the family means to invest yourself to this place. Your, your money, your energy, your talents, your time. That's, that's amazing. I mean, even here, you, mu you, you must be... If, if I had the time to meet you and know you personally, that would be interesting to see what kind of people are sitting here. Even in my church, uh, I would have introverts and extroverts, you know, extroverts, when the service starts, they go to the doors to greet the people, and then the introverts are like, no, 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 leave me alone. <laughs> One of my friends, she's introvert, and she organized the big celebration just recently, like a birthday party, and then she confessed to me, oh, you know, Yanchi, I, I was just having this like, moment of extroversy in my life, and I organized the party, but now I regret, like, it's, <laughs> it's happening this week. <laughs> what should I do? <laughs> so I told her, well, trust your extroverted version of you. And I saw the picture, actually. It was happening yesterday, and it was amazing, I think. But, but that's how we learn to function as a church. We're, we're, we're a family where we're different people, and we learn, okay, this guy doesn't like to hug, so we won't hug him because it feels uncomfortable. But I learned, guys like Brian love to hug, so I hug. <laughs> yes. Hug Brian then afterwards for me. So what God is doing, he's putting people of, of, of all kinds of material, all kinds of people together, who if we work well, that's the true display of what God is doing here. Like one of the ways we can see the gospel working out in our society is to see church that loves each another. And, and when we go to church, we don't go to see the program. We don't go to have a concert. We don't go to just drink a coffee. We go to invest into relationships, to be part of it, to, to smile together, laugh together, cry together, serve together. And even though you might feel that you are the broken part of this community, maybe that's the reason you are here. So, it wouldn't be about us, how we are perfect together, but people would see that, oh, even this broken part is here. And it works because God makes it work. You're needed here. You're not here by accident. There's this last thing I would like to share and then, then wrap it up. I don't know if you're aware of, of this picture. Maybe we can show it. You know this picture? You know it well? It's Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper. And what struck me is, you know what kind of guys are sitting with Jesus there? 
just to, just to make it clear that Jesus is in, is in the middle. <laughs> and these are the apostles, Jesus' apostles. And this should be the Matthew. And this should be the Simon. And when we read about Jesus calling his apostles to, to follow him and join him, there are the names written in Matthew 10. Uh, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his mother, etc. But there are two names that are connected with, um, with a description of the names. It's Matthew, the tax collector, and the Simon, the zealot. These guys are here having conversation. And I, I googled, like, what are the names of the apostles on these pictures? And they should be the Matthew, and they should be the Simon. And it seems they have kind of a, a argue, or they're, they're talking to each other. Just to give you context, Matthew, as a tax collector, he betrayed his nation. That was who, that's what, who he was. He was the traitor. We can imagine when Jesus called Matthew to join him that the disciples like, didn't want to talk to Matthew, really. They want to be with Jesus, but not with Matthew. That's the traitor. Because he was not just collecting taxes for government, that's okay, but he was collecting tax for the army that invaded their country, for the, for the, for the Romans. And the Simon, the zealot, was the guy that we could maybe describe as a nationalist terrorist. He was proud for his nation, proud of his nation. And if he had an opportunity, he would kill Matthew in an instant with a spear or something. Yeah. And Jesus called Matthew and Simon and said, oh, be my disciples. And then we are going to eat together and Leonardo will draw the picture of us. <laughs> oh, man. Just before Jesus departed, this was the prayer he prayed to his father. It's called the high priestly prayer. I'm not going to read the whole prayer, just part of it. And this is what Jesus asks his father. I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Yeah. It's us. Sure. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Yeah. It's only if people like that are sitting at one table and not killing each other, world actually sees Jesus in a picture. Because if Jesus wasn't there, they would kill each other. But because Jesus is there, they can have a decent food together. And Jesus prays not only for these guys, but for us as well. That we would be one and the world could look at us, how we belong together, and see the God who sent Jesus. So he's praying for tax collectors and zealots, Majorities, minorities, the healthy and the sick, rich and the poor, the men and women, young and old, those who rejoice and those who mourn, the hopeful and the brokenhearted. And the only explanation for such a diverse community to work together is the, the guy in the middle of the picture. Him, Jesus. 
which brings us back to Noah's message. It's about him. But in him, we belong together. Yeah, so just imagine, just imagine what would happen if this was the thing that resurrection would be known for in, in the area. If anyone in Chicago area thinks about Resurrection Church, he thinks, oh, that's the place where the introverts and extroverts meet. <laughs> People leaning to the left and right, maybe. I don't know how that works over here. <laughs> People who laugh out loud and people who, are, who cry, people who have a good jobs, people who just lost their jobs, people who have big families and people who are single. Yeah, we live in it's easier to just disappear and go away. And it's similar in our country. You're not, we are not different from you in this. It's easier to watch church online, but not the community church, but just the program church. That's another word for that. It's easier to find a group of people that is like me. I, I just have to go to the next pub I have next to my doors and I can find people who are like me. I don't have to go to church. But in, in such environment, it is the gospel, it is the Jesus that brings together people who sing together, eat together, pray together, laugh together, encourage one another. So, again... There's this guy driving the car, explaining smart things about his projects and then asking you, and you share about your church, and he asks you a question, why do you need a church? Don't you know how to behave? And at that moment, my heart was tearing apart because I knew I, had a, I have only five minutes, and right now I'm talking one hour, you know. I didn't have time to, to share in five minutes what I just shared with you, but this and much more is what I have in my heart when I'm thinking about church. It's not just a program. It's not just an a environment to alter our behavior, like behavior modification program. No, no, no. It's, it's a community where if this works well, then the world sees, oh, there's something happening over here. So you don't go to church. You are the church. And you are a very important part of the church. Dear God, thank you very much for the church. Thank you that you blessed us with the relationships. Thank you that we can experience this. In a very, practic in a very practical way, that we in Slovakia can experience the blessing of the church here in the Chicago area, somehow across the globe. And you know, we can get lost in, in the church business and we, we need to pay the bills and turn on the lights and uh, greet people, meet people and, and do all, all the important stuff. But please, please, let us remember what's, what's the foundation of church, that it's you creating a new mankind. That we are a display of a heaven here on, play, here on earth. Please, make this true about the church, the resurrection church and the church in Slovakia as well. Amen.